You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word and find John chapter 13. John chapter 13, as we continue our series through John, Look and Live. Um, also, and I share this every week, I, I put together some, I guess you could call it a, a, some listening notes. I do provide an outline um, that I post on um, the, uh, my pastorjohnbeck.com website. I, I do that as a listening guide. Sometimes people say I talk very fast and and um, then others, you know, the being in a Baptist church can be a struggle sometimes. Uh, one, in one sense, you've got a group of folks that preach. If you preached about four o'clock every day, I'd be in heaven. See, Randy's that person. You heard that amen over there. <laughs> Majority of people say, Brother John, my body can only handle until about noontime. So the notes help me. Uh, get the information out that I feel like that I need to on a Sunday morning. They, uh, they're made really for just for those that are here listening. Uh, for the, I, I've got several people that may look on them throughout the week, but I provide them every Sunday morning and Sunday evening as, a, as an aid to help listen. And that way I'm not sitting here with an overhead clicking and you, you get all distracted and all of that stuff. I want you in the Word um, and uh, not worried about me clicking a clicker for a screen. John 13. Kind of set the tone a little bit here. The betrayal has taken place. And Judas has left. And we looked at last week and we had looked at that uh, that had to happen. And it's that great mystery that the Lord knew that was going to happen. And it had to happen so that Jesus could go to the cross. But yet we see that tension of Judas uh, making that decision and Jesus grieving over and troubled in spirit that it did happen, but yet it had to happen. He had to be betrayed to go to the cross. And so from this point forward through chapter 16, we can see what I would call a, a farewell discourse to his disciples. Judas is gone. Here are the disciples. And we see in these words our Savior pouring his heart into his, those disciples, preparing them for the cross, preparing them for after the cross and the call upon their life to follow Christ and to, and to go and shed the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so in these words we see a, a fitting discourse that he is pouring his life into the disciples to prepare them for what's about to happen. But in particular here today in this little section, we see really what I think the foundation for all of that is to come. 
the foundational few sentences and statements in this setting that lays the, the true understanding and the true heart to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the text, and I think you'll understand what it is I'm saying. John 13, 31, when, when he had gone out, I mean in Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I think that's a a foundational statement that everything falls upon and, and hinges on. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Verse 36, O Simon. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. But you will follow me afterward. But Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will will lay down my life for you. Don't you love Peter's excitement? Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Don't miss verse 38. With a sincere forgiving love. This is what Jesus says to Peter. But Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words, your word for us here this morning. Just as real as these words were to the disciples many years ago, they are just as real to us here today. Help us to hear, to embrace, to understand Help us to live out this new commandment, this new commandment of love. Your love for us and our love for others. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want to do with the text this morning is there, there are two phrases, two major phrases I want us to consider. Look there in verses 31 and 32. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And so we see in this first couple of verses here that God is saying, that that the Lord is saying to them, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, the betrayal of Jesus, of Judas, unto Jesus the anticipation of the cross. Now, Judas has done what God has told him to do. In his disobedience, he has gone to do what God has ordained to do, that I must die on the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And we think about that phrase, and we, you know, we, we, you know, 
to me, and, and several of the, the pastors and commentators and study of this, to me, when we think about the cross, it does not glorify. I mean, if it was written by one of us, it would sound more like this. Now the Son of Man will be humiliated. Now the Son of Man will be beaten. Now the Son of Man will be put on trial. Now the Son of Man will be treated unjustly and unfair. But no. Now is God made known. Now is God magnified. Now is is God more than ever worthy to be worshipped. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And theologically, as we step back and we look at the God being glorified, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that day at Golgotha, that day at Calvary, when, when Jesus Christ gave his life, when Jesus Christ paid that sin debt that we could never pay, and he lived that sinless life, and he died a death that we deserved, at that moment we understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are glorified. That is love. That second verse I want us to consider, a couple of verses I guess you could say, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. I think those two verses fit together. You could say, well, you could, it's kind of funny if you, if, um, if you go to any like uh, sermon websites or things like that, there's a lot of things available. Libraries are literally, libraries are available now online. It's one of the great blessings of, of technology. And though you could go to like Spurgeon or Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching on Romans and it'll be like, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you do some research on Martin Lloyd-Jones' series on Romans, it'll be Romans chapter 13, verse 31. Romans chapter 13, verse 31. Romans chapter 13, verse 31. I'm like, good gracious, he was in Romans chapter 13, 31, eight months. There's a lot in Romans chapter 13, verse 31. That God will be glorified in the death of his son and what that accomplished. And that a new commandment I give to you, that as I have loved, you love. Those two verses, those two couple of verses fit perfectly together. And I want us to look at that this morning as we look at that type of love where the Father and the Son are the most glorified. First, the love of God, the love of the the Father. 
If we think about the, 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 the Father is glorified, that, that God is glorified as we go to the cross, I think we need to step back and understand if there's a command that we are to love one another, that it is something that we need to embrace and something that we understand, and it's something that we embrace and we understand as we look at the example that the Trinity has given to us, that the Word of God has given to us. How in the world can I love any? You know, I think about what love means today. There's no way I can love the brethren. There's no way I can love anyone unless I'm measuring that love against God's love. And there's a type of love that I can never match, but it's a type of love that I pursue to live my life based upon. The love of the Father. How was God glorified at the death of His Son, Jesus Christ how do we see the love of the father in that moment we see the love of the father demonstrated through God's holiness now we make sin, we make light of sin in our culture today I'll give you an, an example I'm going to be a little transparent here I'm going to let you in on one of my struggles I'm a very forgiving person, I think. I think. But where I'm struggling in our world today is that we are afraid to call sin, sin. And we're afraid to look at the ugliness of sin and what it is. Now, what, with modern technology and like Twitter, you have... You have access to thoughts and what the world is saying immediately. And it's kind of funny. You had to wait till the next newspaper came out. You had to, if something happened at lunchtime on Tuesday, you couldn't read about it till Wednesday and you got the newspaper. Our young people today are just getting spastic thinking about that. We have instant updates on pictures and son uh, sonograms. I'm thinking about grandbabies again. Instagram, not sonograms. See, I'm catching up. Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, immediately we know what people are thinking. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And in our, in our convention several weeks ago, one of our prominent leaders made a mistake. I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter to me. It involved, I think, an immoral relationship with another woman. And had to step down. So immediately as a pastor, I, I weep over that. I weep because when, when the leader of, of a church and a pastor or a home or, or any organization falls, I, I read something this week, when, a, when a, the taller tree in the forest falls, it always takes the smaller trees with it. That's pretty good. I did, first time I'd ever heard that. And so there was a side of me that I anguished over that. But it just seemed like immediately on Twitter, we were so quick to forgive that we made light of the seriousness of the sin. And I remember sitting there that day in my office contemplating, well, Lord, how, how should I feel? 
Lord, you are holy and you are a righteousness and you have clearly laid out what is God's desire for a a husband and a man and and relationships. And you've clearly laid out in Scripture the the qualifications and the life of of a man that you have asked to lead a church. And within a a 10-minute period on Twitter, we have a a, a David falling in the sin of Bathsheba. And 10 minutes later, it's just okay. We all make mistakes. And And it could be that I was also really intentional looking at the text this week. I don't think we fear God or we embrace the holiness of God the way we need to. I don't think we understand what Jesus Christ did that day on the cross for our sin. I remember being in college and we had a conference speaker come through and he was telling a, some, you know, a story, talking in the conference. And he was talking about, he was giving an invitation and a pastor came up to him and said, Oh, you know, went, went in the time of response and, and leaned up on the on the, the pastor's shoulder that was giving the, the revival or conference, and he said, pray for me. I've, I've made an immoral decision. Pray for me that, that I can continue to pastor. And I remember Henry Blackaby was who it was. I remember Henry Blackaby, he said this to us as students. He said, I told that man, you don't come to me. He said, you better go over there to the side of that altar and cry out to a holy God and beg him to forgive you because he is holy and he is righteous and he is pure and you're a man that's been called into ministry and a man that had expectations laid upon your life and you're going to flippantly walk down here and ask me to forgive you? You better cry out to a holy God and ask him to forgive you. And I remember sitting there going, oh my goodness, that is right. But I'm grateful that 1 John 1, 9 says what? If we are faithful, he will forgive us. That is what makes this so wonderful. We see God's holiness on display. And the only thing that can satisfy the wrath of God against sin was a perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not just something we do because we believe in a historical Jesus or or something that we do because it's just something that we need to do to be a good person or, or something that we just do because it's popular and that's what people do. No, we come to Jesus and we realize that we are a depraved sinner in need of salvation and the only hope we have in life is coming to the cross of Jesus Christ where holiness and sin met and where Jesus Christ gave his life so my sins can be forgiven. That is love. And God is glorified on that cross because of his holiness. But we also see in the love of the Father, God's faithfulness. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm not going to read all of it. When I say God's faithfulness, from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, there was a problem. 
I came across a, a video this week from a, a pastor's church that I enjoy, Alistair Begg's church. I, I was looking at Alistair Begg's church. I, li- I like looking at other pastors I love and, and that. And I noticed on their website they had a, a video of the gospel and they called it The Story. And it's a little five or six minute video about the gospel and it walks through the creation to the fall. And I, I shared it, but I, I, I shared it and it, it was talking about the garden and perfect and no sin and everything was great. But then sin came and Satan came and Adam and Eve fell and we have this curse upon our life. And literally from Genesis chapter 3, God has been faithful to send a redeemer. If you think about it, Genesis chapter 3, God has been faithful to send his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, listen to this. Surely he was born our griefs and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. We see the love of the Father, not only in his holiness, but in his faithfulness. God has always said there will be a remnant. And even as Isaiah Isaiah prophesied, as Jesus Christ was sitting there in that upper room as a lamb celebrating the Passover, he knew that he was a sacrificial lamb being led to slaughter. And what we see with this new love is the love of the Father and his faithfulness. We see his holiness, we see his faithfulness, and also real quick we see his power. When was Satan defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ? I, we hear all kind of things. You know, Satan was defeated by a big, ugly stick, and we'll have Jesus hanging on the cross. And I don't, I don't like making light of that stuff, but it is true. When, the, when the, 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 the clouds were darkened and the earth was shaken and the wrath of God poured upon the sun and the sin of humanity rests on the, on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and that, that perfect sacrifice was lifted up to the Father. It says that the, the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom and Satan and the power of sin was defeated. That, that penalty of that sin was dealt with. So we see the love of God in his holiness. We, we don't talk a lot about holiness. A lot of times we think about holiness and how we live our life and the do's and the don'ts. And the, and the you know, like holiness is the things that I do. I don't, I don't watch certain TV shows because I'm holy. I, I don't cut my hair a certain way because I'm holy. And we're missing the understanding of holiness. Holiness is not about me. Holiness is not about what I can do. Holiness is about God. And the sin that we can commit and the sin. So therefore, I do what I do because of his holiness and his faithfulness and his power. That's love of the Father right there. 
Then we have the love of the Son. Turn back, if you will, to John chapter 13, the love of the Son. I think the love of the Son, we could say, is, is shown in two places. One, naturally, is the cross. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorifying Him. If God is glorifying Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. We see the love of Jesus Christ that day on the cross. Remember in John chapter 10 verse 11 it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep in our sin and our trespasses. And, and, and sometimes, kind of everywhere I've ever been, people always talk about two things I talk a lot about. The sovereignty of God, the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, maybe more than two or three. The sovereignty of God. Anybody, I mean, you always talk about the sovereignty of God. You always talk about the sufficiency of the Word. And then another thing people say you talk a lot about is the depravity of man. Now, where the depravity of man rubs people the wrong way, it's just it's not very nice. And so the world does not want to hear this. If you're here visiting with us today and you're an unbeliever in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like a dead worm. And you are depraved and you are separated from God and there's nothing in you that is righteous and pure. Thank you for visiting. I hope you filled out a visitor's card. Someone be in talk with you at the end of the day. That doesn't even sound right, does it? But it's biblical. This is why I like the depravity of man. It makes me love Jesus more. That I was a dead worm. We sing a, I never can remember the name of the hymn, but we talk about the worm, ma'am. Oh, she was telling me, I'm sorry. We sing a hymn that talks about the worm in it. We've changed the words over time. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And there was not a thing in me that was even close to the holiness and righteousness of God. And I was a little rebel on the highway to hell, as they say. There's a song in the 80s some of y'all used to listen to. And there was nothing good in me. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but God, who is great in his grace and his mercy, he sent his son to die on a cross for my sin so that I may see the wickedness of my heart and the mercy and grace of his love and that I could be made alive, a new creation in Christ, and be born again. The reason I talk about the depravity of man so much is it makes me love Jesus that much more. If I'm walking around life and I'm just a good person, but I'm just missing that Jesus part of my life, I'm really a good person. I'm not as bad as everybody else. I just need a little Jesus. Then that makes me feel like that there's a lot of this stuff I'm capable of my own. Let me let you in on a little secret. There's not a smidgen, there's zero percentage of the goodness and holiness of God in me apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what I like about Jesus Christ. So yes, they can come across judgmental and a, a message of damnation, but at the same time, D.L. Moody used to always say, that before you get a man saved, you got to get a man lost. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for me. He did what I could not do. We see the love of Jesus Christ at the cross when a perfect son of man died for a sinner as me and he took the burden of that sin and washed it away with his blood and he paid the price with his body. That is love. That is a love I did not deserve. But we also see his love on his throne. Let's read some scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it quick for the sake of time. Philippians 2, 6 and 11. Philippians 2, 6 and 11. I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. Philippians 2, 6 and 11. What we see on the throne is our, our victory and our hope. On the cross, we see Jesus as a servant and Jesus that satisfied that wrath of God. And on the throne, we see our victory and our hope. Philippians 2, 6-11, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being the born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore has God exalted him, or I should say highly exalted him, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there's our victory and our hope because he's at the right hand of the Father. He did what he came to do as a servant and God raised him up that day and exalted him at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, don't miss that, who for the joy that was set before him, who the joy set before him endured the cross, the despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our hope and our victory right there, that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. That's love. That he died on that cross and accomplished. Sometimes we as Christians, we mope around. Why are we so mopey? We are the mopiest people. We ought to be. Now, I never have been able to segue this into a right way without kind of sounding weird. You ever notice Clint East? I always go back to this same thing. And every time sharing this, mm. Clint Eastwood always walks into town with an attitude, doesn't he? For those who don't watch westerns and hear the whistling in the background, you know, it's always Clint Eastwood. There and just, I know I always, I've used that example for 20 something years. It just, it's there. Confident, sure. He's Clint Eastwood. He can hear the whistling in the background. Why do we live our life in such defeat? Well, our pastor told us we need to invite people to church. So, you know, we go down there at the First Baptist Church. Where at? Behind the jacaranda. Oh, I did baccalaureate. Yeah, that's it. But you want to come to church with us? If I'm going to be a good Christian, you need to come to church. And I want to be a good Christian, so you come to church. 
But this is what we do on other occasions. Woo! Hey, I'm going to Tallahassee. It's a spring game. We got a new offense, and they've picked their own team. And, man, that ball is flying around. And I know it's about an eight-hour drive, but I'm telling you what, Tigers got that thing rolling up there. Woo! Well, good gracious. Pastor, I'm riding down the road listening to every recruiting podcast I can right now. I'm telling you what, we're going to be loaded this year and this fall's going to run. Woo! Oh, by the way, we got church on Sunday night if you can make it. I know that's totally when we do our family stuff and get together, but it's usually pretty good if you want to come. There's not as many people there if you can come. Wednesday night's prayer meeting, we, we pray. That's when we set aside a time to pray. But I know you're busy, so, you know. That's what we do, isn't it? Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. That is a position of of hope and victory and power. He is our, our Lord and our Master, and He loves us, and He died on the cross for those that are His, and He is at the right hand of the Father. That's all that we need to know, that God loves me. And he sent his son for me. And he died for me. And he loves me. Romans 8, 34 and 35. I think I have gone to Romans 8 every day this month as I've been in Romans. I can't get enough of it. It's my new favorite chapter of the Bible. Romans 8, 34, 35. Who is to condemn? Who can condemn me? Who can bring a charge against me? Who can say anything to me? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, I love Paul. More than that. He didn't just die, he was raised. And he wasn't just raised, he was raised to the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. See, salvation's personal. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can. Why? Because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Where's our hope? At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Where's our victory in life? At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The love of Jesus Christ on the cross and on the throne. But that doesn't, that's not the end of the story. Now go back to Romans, John 13. Look at verse 33. Now, in the next 15 minutes, let's look at this. The love of the disciple. The love of us. If we know the love of the Father, His holiness, His faithfulness, His power, if we know the love of the Son on the cross and on the throne, then we understand that Jesus now says, now you love the same way. Don't miss this. This is, this is one of these you're sitting in your desk and you go, whew, that's good. That's when Judy says, why, are you, why, why did you just get up and take off out the front door? Well, sometimes I just get up in the middle of, you know, I have to make a loop. I scoot the loop. 
That was good. Verse 33, little children. Do you know how silly I am in this point in my life over little children? You know where I'm going Monday morning at like five? I'll be up at, at midnight with bags packed in the driveway waiting to five o'clock while I can leave. Jesus, once Judas left, he said, little children. He said, I love you. You're mine. More precious than a grandchild or child. The betrayer's gone. The clock has been, it's in motion. There's nothing I, and Jesus knew this, there's nothing I can do about that. It's the plan of the Father. Death awaits me, the cross awaits me, persecution awaits me, dismay awaits you, confusion awaits you. He looked at, how about this? He looked into the eyeballs of every one of them and knew they would die a murdered, martyred death. He looked in their eyes and knew they would all die a death as a martyr for Jesus Christ. And he says, little children, in a little while I'll be gone. You'll seek me. You cannot go. And he's talking about his death, burial, resurrection. They cannot go. But he is going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit will come upon them. And one day they will join him. It's that always tense, already, not yet. Where I'm going, you cannot go. The death of the cross, the exaltation. But little children. Now he says in verse 34, little children, a new commandment. I want us to look at that. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By all of this, people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, the backdrop of this conversation is the cross of Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the love of the Son. And he looks at those little children. He looks to those that are his and he says, now a new commandment I give you because of that love, you must love others. You must live out that life. It's no option here. It is what God has asked us to do. And encourage us to do. Let's look at this love. There's four things about this love we see in this text. One, it's a personal love. Little children. There are so many things when I think about the whole salvation process and all that takes place and from Genesis all the way to his coming again and the new heavens and the new earth. And one of the greatest things about it, but something I still cannot wrap my arms fully around, but I believe it in my heart and I know that it's true, is that it is a personal love. I always use the example to be like looking down from an aerial view of a stadium, you know, and you're looking down there and you see the colors and you can't see any faces. That is not my relationship with the Lord. The Lord knows me personally and it is a personal love. He died on a cross for my sin. He sent the Holy Spirit into my life. Everything I need and I have, God has provided in a personal way. It is a personal love, little children. Secondly, it's a new love. Now, don't miss this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So in Deuteronomy, the command was, you love God with everything that you have. 
But here's the Old Testament. You love God with everything you have, but you're always going to fall short. That'd be like me trying to be a perfect husband. How long does that last? Not long at all. I can try, I can try, I can try, I can try, and it's never going to happen. The Old Testament loves that you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but you cannot do it on your own. That is why there's a new love, and that new love is based on the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the cross of Jesus Christ. He did what I could not do, and that new love is based on what the love that I have in Christ. The Lord says in John 3, 16, For God so what? Love the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's a new love. But it's also a love that we can accomplish. It's not a foreign love or a fake love or never obtainable love. It's a new love that is provided by the love of the Father and the love of the Son. So it is a love that I can do. When Jesus said it's a new love, but it's a new love that you can only do through me. You may be sitting here today and just thinking about practical aspects of love. Well, I can't love that person. No, you can't, but you better lean on Jesus so that you can. I can't do this. No, you can't, but you need to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can. It is a new love. It's not a perfect love, but a love that's based on the perfect grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because we have received this in Jesus Christ. Second, third, it's a relational love others Jesus died for us we're to love others Christianity is all about relationships you love one another we may not be the smartest people in the room I always tell people this but I'm not the dumbest I don't think so let me help you out with this Jesus says If you love me, okay, you got that? You will follow me. Okay, so let's stop there. If we say that we love the Lord, we're going to live for the Lord, worship the Lord, bow down to the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to live our life that that we love the Lord. If you love me, you're going to follow me. If you love me and you follow me, you're going to love others. So if I don't love others, then it just says I'm not following him. And if I'm not following him, then I don't really love him. There's some truth to that. If we don't know the biblical Jesus, we may not love him. If the world has said that Jesus is just some great prophet from years ago and that he is an option that we can believe in and go to heaven one day, we may say that we love that, but I'm telling you what, when you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and he bled and he died so that you may have eternal life and you love that, you'll follow that and you'll worship that and you'll adore that type of love. That's why we have to be so clear with the gospel. Jesus Christ is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus Christ is not check the box and go to heaven one day. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin so that you may have life and have life more abundantly and your sins can be forgiven. That's what Jesus did. I love that Jesus. You realize the price that he paid for you, you're going to love that Jesus.
One of my favorite commentaries has been through the Gospel of John. It's kind of funny. I found it in the books in the library. After the, after the storm, we were cleaning out the good books and weren't managed. And lo and behold, there was an, an A.W. Pink Gospel of John commentary that's been in the library for I don't know how long. I've fallen in love with that thing. This is what A.W. Pink said. Love is the badge of Christian discipleship. It is not knowledge, it is not orthodoxy, it is not fleshly activities, but love which identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees had love. The religious leaders said they had all this love for God, but God said, I'm not concerned about all of that. Do you love me? Do you follow me? Who do you need to pray about this morning that you need to love a little differently? It's a relational love. And I'll end with this. I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I won't. Don't miss this. Verses 36, 30. I love Peter. It's a progressive love. Gosh, I love Peter. Peter, I'm probably not as smart as Peter, but I... I talk quick like Peter. Hey, where are you going? I'm going. Did y'all hear that? I got it. Peter on the spot. You going somewhere? We're going. I'll go wherever you go, Lord, because I love you. Jesus said, Peter, you don't love me. I do, I promise. Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. That's, that's the difference. I mentioned this because last week. The difference between Judas and Peter... Judas kind of had everybody fooled, but Jesus knew his heart was not right. Peter just ran around getting himself in trouble all the time. But Jesus knew his heart was right. And if Jesus gets your heart, he's going to get your life. Jimmy, tell you what a progressive love is. When you deny the Father and the Son and the Spirit, when you, when, you let, when you deny Jesus Christ from an earthly standpoint, when you deny Jesus Christ at the moment he needed you the most, and God restores you and heals you, and you become one of the greatest apostles on the history of the globe. See, that's a progressive love, a forgiving love, an enduring love. A thankful love is we, nowhere in Scripture, when God called me to be a pastor, one of my biggest struggles was, how can I be a pastor? I'm a mess. And you know what I think the Lord told me? Keep acknowledging that and I can use you. But if you ever stop acknowledging that you're a mess, you're saying you don't need me, I can't use you anymore. There ain't a soul in here that's got that. I shared this on Wednesday night the other night. I think this is what happens. I'll close with this. We come into church and we think we are the only one that our life is in turmoil. Now, I mean, you know, not total turmoil. You know what I'm saying. Something's not right in your life. So we come into church and we walk in here and go, everybody else is perfect. Look at the praise team. I bet the Verklers just sing the psalms at their house all the time. And the children are perfect and never disobey and everything's great. And I, I look over here and look at all these people and I walk by these deacons and these ushers 
and you walk in here and you think, I am the only one in here that struggles. Let me, let me just ease your mind a little bit. The Verklers are a wreck. <laughs> They're a mess. Why do I know that? They're still this side of heaven. There's not an individual in here that has their life completely where they want it to be. But my goal is that we all have our life striving to be what it needs to be. God nowhere says we are to be perfect, but he does say this is what's expected. God does never, never expects perfection in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, all, all Jesus expects is just obedience and fellowship. It's not rules and this and that and legalism. It's fellowship. Just love me. Just follow me. Love my word. Obey my word. Worship my word. Just, just do what scripture says. Just love and follow after me. And then you realize, hey, we're all in this together. We're all just a bunch of Peters. Sometimes we talk too much. Sometimes we don't say the right thing. Sometimes we do this. It's a progressive love. We have love of the Father, love of the Son, and the love of a disciple. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the love that you bestowed upon us that day on the cross. I pray right now, Lord, that you have opened up the eyes of those that are yours and they see that love. If they are here today and they're a believer in you, and they, I pray that those that you would just manifest yourself and encourage them, that you love them, you love them, you love them, and we too should love others. We ought to be a, a lighthouse of hope and victory and love here as a church. The one place I would pray our community, our nation, and our cities could see love in this crazy, mixed-up world that we live in should be the body of Christ. Lord, let us love one another. But Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as our personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today has been the day of their salvation that they believe who you are and what you did on their cross for their sin and they have placed their faith in you and they have repented of their sin and they've come to you by faith. And if there's anyone here today that needs to profess that publicly, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would do so because of that love. Work in our midst. Clear our hearts and our mind. Even as we sing this hymn of commitment, let it be a true commitment to our life. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.